What Are You Made Of? It's Mike C-Rock. Welcome to What Are You Made Of? Every episode of this podcast is centered around building ourselves and the people in our lives to reach our full potential. I hope that the experiences and stories of success from these conversations can give you rocket fuel to reach new heights and help you answer the question, What Are You Made Of? What Are You Made Of? I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get yourself a copy. And subscribe to the What Are You Made Of podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching these, it's available on YouTube at my channel, Mike C-Rock Scirocco. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable, inexorable, Mike C-Rock. I'm in the house today with Connor Boyack. He is an author, public speaker, TV show producer, podcaster, and libertarian communicator. I think that's what it said, right? Yeah, libertarian communicator. This show, <laughs> by the way, this is like, we, we don't worry about perfection here, so we just, we just roll, Connor. As an author of 36 books, he's best known for the Tuttle Twins books, a children's series introducing young readers to economical, political, and civic principles with over 4 million books sold. Wow, 4 million, man. It'd been nice to sell 4 million books. I don't think I made to 1 million with my book, but and nonetheless, uh, he is the founder and president of Libertas Institute, an award-winning free market. Free, what is that? Free market? That's right. Free market think tank. Oh, free market t- think tank. I'm sorry. It's a typo on my end. An educational organization responsible for changing over 100 laws across a wide range of issues. They're now attempting to scale their work across the country to have national impact. Connor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I got to get like the the rust knocked off. I haven't had a show in a couple of weeks because I was uh, out last week, and so people can hear it. But listen, Connor, we start this show the same way every time, and that's with the question: What are you made of? Oh, I am made of a kind of fire in the belly. I work quickly. I have a lot of output. I mean, thirty six books. I'm only forty years old. I've only been writing for ten years. I have a very kind of high output personality, but it, what I'm made of inside is like this fire in the belly desire for change, desire to change the world, desire to help other people solve problems. Almost like like people have talked about if I could like bottle up that energy source and like, you know, sell it, I'd make millions. Cause it's just every morning I wake up knowing I have a particular skill set that can make a huge impact on other people. And so I just want to hit the ground running and go, 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 because there's a lot of problems to solve and there's a lot of, you know, bad laws to fix and there's a lot of people to educate. And, uh, and so for me, it's, it's very much that innate desire to just change the world for the better and develop the skills and build the team that can help me go further faster in trying to achieve that objective. Love it. What's the skill set that you mentioned? So I'm really good at persuasive communication. You know, I started this think tank, Libertas Institute, about a decade ago. And a lot of communicators just pontificate and they'll just publish and, you know, spray and pray, right? You know, right. preach into the wind and hope they convert someone. I'm a much more strategic, persuasive communicator. So our think tank basically exists to change laws. And we've built a team of really good, politically savvy, strategic people that knows like, rather than shouting from the rooftops this message, if I can convince these five people, then we're going to have success. And so who do I need to talk to to target those five people? How do I need to frame that message? How do I need to build this campaign? That's going to overwhelm them with, you know, you know, shame or compassion or love or, you know, interest or whatever to get them to change their mind. Uh, so for us, there's this concept called the Overton window. It's this concept where, like, within the spectrum of political opinion, there's this narrow window. The guy's name who came up with this concept is Joe Overton, 
So the window is the spectrum of allowable, publicly appropriate, you know, acceptable opinion, but there's lots of opinions that fall outside of that spectrum. So for us, if we, for example, I live in Utah now, I'm from San Diego, but we legalized medical marijuana in Utah. And everyone was like, you're never going to be able to do that because, you know, it's a socially religious conservative community. They're going to be one of the last states. And we got it done. It took us five years, but it was very much this idea of saying, all right, legalizing marijuana in Utah falls outside of that little window because people are like, oh, drugs, bad. Mm-hmm. And so how can we either extend that window or slide the window along the spectrum such that, you know, medical cannabis in, in this case, in this example, becomes within the spectrum of appropriate, acceptable, you know, opinion. So for me, that's, you know, that's how I'm good at what I do. And we built a team of a lot of other people who are good at this because like, there's a lot of organizations who are like, oh, I wish there was a, you know, I wish that law was passed or I wish that roadblock wasn't in my way. We're a group of like freedom fighters who are just tactical and saying like, all right, we've got a mission. How can we succeed? Now we've changed over hundred laws, many of them the first of their kind in the whole country. So now we're helping groups in other states do what we've done. Basically, me trying to like figure out how to extend my team even further to say, how can we replicate these successes and make more of an impact? So, Connor, what's the mission though? Because uh, 100 laws, whatever, but they probably are all in alignment, I imagine, right? Yeah. The mission is basically uh, you know, free people, free society, free market, remove roadblocks and stand in the way of people. So if you're a business owner and this law doesn't allow your business model to... like Here in Utah, as in many states... When Elon Musk came to town and wanted to sell cars directly to people rather than go through dealerships, it was illegal because the car dealers over the decades had gotten the laws to say, you must go through car dealers. And so he had to go to to court. And I mean, that's ridiculous. And there's a lot of like, great, he can hire lawyers and lobbyists and muscle his way through. But what about the little guy who comes up with his American dream on the back of a napkin? Right. And then he, as he researches, he's like, oh crap, I'm not allowed to do that. I guess I won't pursue it. So for us, it's very much helping the little guy, removing the roadblocks in the way. And as long as everyone's being peaceful and like not harming other people, we're very libertarian. So it's just like, let people do what they want and let's have an actually free America. And, and let's kind of get back to our roots in that way and remove a lot of these laws and regulations that kind of stand in people's way of doing what they want. And is that a nonprofit mission? It is. Yeah, we're a nonprofit. Okay. Gotcha. And then who, how, how do you cover the expenses? Who, who pays the bill? Yeah. So as a traditional nonprofit, a lot of it's fundraising. So we get grants from larger foundations where you've got some like mega millionaire who just started a foundation to help further a cause that he cares about. Or we'll have a lot of entrepreneurs and business, small business, medium sized business owners who will, you know, write five, ten, twenty thousand dollar checks in support of whatever kind of project we're working on. I'll give you a, a more concrete example. Later today, I'm going to go have a meeting with a potential donor. And this gentleman was at the Capitol on January 6th. Everyone's heard about, oh, January 6th. He wasn't there as part of some crazy whatever. He was just there to kind of see what was going on. But uh, the FBI showed up at his house the day later, the, the next day. And, uh, wow. and he wasn't home. His wife had to deal with it. And it was a big controversy and big problem. But it's like, well, wait a minute. How did they know he was there? Okay. Well, in this case, the feds used what's called a geofence warrant. What that means is they went to Google or Verizon or whoever, and they said, hey, we want to know everyone whose phones was in this area at this particular time. So January 6th from you know 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., whatever. And so Google or Verizon or whoever, they says, okay, here you go. And suddenly they have mass surveillance of all of these individuals who aren't suspected of a crime. They could have been there for some other reason or just you know spectating or whatever. And yet they're scooped into this dragnet 
And it goes against the Fourth Amendment, which says that you have to have probable cause and particularity and all these things. So we are now working on a legal proposal to ban geofence warrants. So because we think they're not constitutional and all the government should not have the power to snoop on people like that. So I'm going to go talk with this potential donor who was there January 6th, who was targeted as a result of you know this geofence warrant and say, hey, look, we want to, we have a solution. We want to make sure this doesn't happen again to other people. Will, and he's a business owner, very successful business owner. So we're going to say, hey, will you donate X amount of dollars to help us go work on this policy and get this law passed? And then we'll help other states do it. So that's kind of how we do what we do is we'll, we'll find business owners or people who are connected to the issues we're trying to solve and then help them kind of be the part of the you know, change gotcha. they wish to see. So a lot of that is just uh, getting in investors, uh, not uh, donations, but kind of that, that investment from people who are kind of connected to the work that we're doing. Gotcha. And then you have lobbyists, or would you call the, the who you work for your lobbyists? They lobby. In uh, I, yeah. Change, right? so, some of the people on our team who do that aspect of the work, including myself, we are technically lobbyists. I call myself a lobbyist for liberty. Most of your lobbyists are like corporate lobbyists where they're just hired mm-hmm. guns doing Special whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly. Whereas those of us, we, we see ourselves more as advocates. I think that's kind of a better term. We're advocating for a particular perspective or, or point of view. What's really interesting about my world is that most of the lobbyists are actually government lobbyists. So cities have lobbyists, counties have lobbyists, water districts, police departments, sheriffs, the attorney general's office, uh, the bureaucracy, all the different departments, they all hire lobbyists. So your taxpayer dollars are going to pay for lobbying where these lobbyists go and ask the legislature for even more taxpayer dollars. So it's this wow. weird thing where oftentimes we find ourselves like butting heads, like in this case with the privacy thing I mentioned, we're going to fight the attorney general's office and the police and others who you know want to use a tool like this whenever they want to spy on people. So we're going to kind of do political battle with these guys and they're going to have all their lobbyists that use my taxpayer dollars. So I'm having to go lobby against people who are being paid with my dollars it's just kind of a weird dynamic and an unfortunate byproduct of our system that we got to deal with, I guess. Yeah. No, and also, do you have the percentage of state changes that you do versus federal? Or is it all federal? Or? So we're all state. Yeah. We just all focus state. at a state and, and local level. I, I feel like the federal government is like a sinking ship. I don't, I don't have really any hope for Congress. I think the, the incentives are all misaligned. The corruption is massive. The ability to affect change is insignificant, I mean, minuscule. Um, And so I I just don't see a lot of good progress coming. Whereas at a state level, you can get a lot of stuff done. And then if you get a lot of states to do something, that can create some good pressure to push Congress in a better direction. So so we work at a state level instead of a federal one. Gotcha. Okay. So now when you were talking earlier about all the questions that you have, I'm not questions, the uh, ideas you have and your mind's always going and like, how do you select what to focus on, what to you know, we only have so many attention units, right? So how do you filter those ideas that you want to accomplish? And, you know, maybe some of the things are definitely good things, but you just kind of pick and choose. Like, what, what is your process for that? Oh, that, that, is, the, that is the million dollar question. Uh, that, by the way, I, I asked even, that because I, you know, I'm the same way as you. So totally. And it's, I wouldn't say I have a process. It's very fluid. I try and just have a general approach to saying like, I prioritize some of the things I think that are compelling and, and important and necessary. And I'll just drive those forward you know, with sheer willpower or whatever and, and move the ball forward. In a lot of cases, though, what I try and do is kind of get market feedback. You know? So I want to hear from other people. Uh, in fact, I run into the problem where 
I'm very open with kind of ideas that I have. Maybe we should do this. And what if we did this? In my mind, they're very tentative. I'm just trying to kind of bounce ideas off of people. But people on my team are like, oh, the boss is saying maybe we ought to do this. Maybe I should start looking. I'm like, no, 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 no. I just want to like brainstorm, right? Right, right. So I kind of run into that problem where I'm right now trying to figure out how can I still kind of get feedback from others on the team without them feeling like I'm kind of subtly yeah. announcing that we should do that thing. I, you know, I, so I, I'm a member of Strategic Coach, um, fantastic entrepreneur coaching program. They've been around for like 30 plus years. And so they have a lot of good tools that help me with this too. So it's like, you know, their weekly planner and their kind of goal tracking. And so I use a lot of tools like that just so I can kind of stay focused on what's most important. Cause I don't remember who said it, right? But the most important thing is to keep the most important thing the most important thing. Yep. Keep the right? main thing the main thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'll, I'll kind of lose focus and oh, scroll and, you know, should I work on that? And so I've found personally that strategic coach has helped me to kind of make sure I maintain focus on what matters because I'm always b- being bombarded with all kinds of crazy. And uh, so they're, they're tools that have actually been pretty helpful for me. Uh, I've been doing that for about a year and it's going really well so far. Awesome. Awesome. I wrote that down. I, I have a tech platform called Blueprinted and I wanna, I'm going to probably want to talk to those folks, whoever runs cool. that. So, but let's talk about the books, man. I mean, 36 books. Are they all children's books or? or well, about two thirds of them are children's books. The other one third are just, you know, general audience type stuff. And so take me back to where you started thinking about being an author and what, you know, what that process was like. So 2005 and six is when blogging really kind of spiked at the first and, uh, you know, Blogspot and WordPress and these services came out. So I started blogging back then and I developed kind of a readership. I was, I was blogging about like current events and political philosophy and economics and just stuff I was learning and paying attention to. But a lot of people started reading it. I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I guess I'll keep doing this and I'll write more and maybe I'll try not to write as horrible because I, I never did well in English in school. So I, <laughs> but, it, but that motivated me, right? Like, crap, people are reading this. I better like do better rather than just being so lackadaisical. So all the blogging kind of led me to say, you know, maybe I ought to do a book that's something a little bit more concrete. I thought at first, maybe I'll do a compilation of different blog posts. I thought, eh, that's kind of a, not cop out, but like, that's just kind of like a, you know, wannabe book. My book actually, so I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or or Mormons, which may not be a shock since I said I live in Utah. (laughs) And at the time in 2012, Mitt Romney was running for president. Everyone's like, oh, you know, Mormon president, whatever. And so I decided to write a book why basically I think Mitt Romney is totally wrong and, and horrible. And it wasn't so much on, on the nose like that, but it was a, a religious book to say, hey, here's you know, what Mormons believe. And here's why I, I think actually we should be libertarian, like that our, our religion, our faith supports a very kind of live and let live, laissez-faire libertarian approach. So that was my first book because that was my world at the time was really focused on some of these ideas. I got a lot of press out of it. Of course, you know, the whole chatter about a Mormon is present. Here comes this other Mormon saying that Mitt Romney's all wrong. And so that really opened up a lot of opportunities. My second book was kind of a sequel to that one of sorts. But then I realized, well, wait a minute, I don't want to pigeon my ho- myself down this kind of rabbit hole of, of this niche audience. I want to kind of expand beyond that. So I started coming up with all kinds of other book ideas, uh, one of which later was this whole children's book series, which is where the four million and plus comes from. And uh just teaching people about what I care about, you know, what freedom looks like and why it matters. I've written a book on education for parents. I've written a book about how, you know, dictators throughout history have gone after uh, the kids, like why they always focus on propagandizing kids and what we can do to stop it. I've written a whole book for young adults called Skip College, talking about why 
college is a bad idea. I wrote a book for teens called How to Not Suck at Life. And it's kind of a self-help for teens of sorts. Again, the fire in the belly. Like I've got, I've got like 50 other ideas and stuff that I want to write books about. And I've just found it to be a really effective medium to build my brand, to serve other people, to make an impact. I think everyone should write a book. Even if you get a ghostwriter, even if you, you know, however you do it, I think books are such an effective way to kind of build your brand and your influence. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket Fuel, is available for sale now at MikeCRock.com forward slash book. That's MikeCROC.com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. And how did you go about writing your books? Did you write all of them? Or what's the method that you use? Because I've Yeah, so go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say I wrote a book and I have a kind of a mixture because uh from transcribing my podcast to writing to having another guy just tear it all apart, <laughs> you know, and rewrite it and you know, all totally. that. So yeah. I uh, I use an app called Scrivener. I writing in a Google Doc or Word, horrible. Worst thing you can ever do. Scrivener is a fantastic way to just organize stuff. It's almost like having For those of you, if you're watching the video version of this, I have an insanely uh, chaotic whiteboard behind me. Scrivener is a way to take like a chaotic brain like that and map out all the ideas into kind of a cohesive workflow and then build out all the content. That has saved me so much time writing books. Scrivener has been a great app. But here's a little hack, Mike. I've shared this with a lot of people with great success over the years because a lot of business business owners that, you know, I want to write a book. I I don't want to take the time. I don't know how to structure it or whatever. What I say is don't write a book. Instead, come up with like a presentation, a little pitch, 45 minutes, do it over Zoom, do it for your friends, uh, organize an event, whatever. But if you think of your book in terms of like a 45 minute uh, presentation, then all you're really focused on is kind of the high level points, the, the skeleton, right? Here's the idea, here's the idea, flow, flow, flow. And it's much less intimidating to think through putting together a 45 minute presentation. Once you've done that, writing a book is like, 10 times easier because you've got your structure of the book already in place. All you now need to do is throw in the anecdotes, the stories, the jokes, the examples to add some meat to the bones and make it a little bit more fluid to read and land a little bit more emotionally. But that's how I've done several of my nonfiction books is I'll first force myself to just go present to some you know youth group or parents group or whoever, business group. And I can spend a couple of hours working on a presentation and then maybe I'll refine it. One of my one of the times I did this, I, I did like three or four times and I kind of refined my presentation based on feedback and so forth. And then when I ha- felt I had a really solid presentation, I went and started writing the book. But all the the th- the hard the hard part about thinking about the writing was was nearly eliminated. And then the writing part was easier. I was just expounding on what I already knew I wanted to talk about. And it really has accelerated my kind of production workflow to think in terms of you know, figure out the skeleton first and then add meat on the bones rather than start with page one and where should we go? Oh, that's, here? Uh, that's, that's torture. That's yeah. torture. Yeah, no, I've done a lot of talks and uh, I had one recently that uh, I broke it down into my 10 principles to become unstoppable. And I'm, right, I'm going to write a book about that one. I already have that all done. I, and when I did the talk, I could just transcribe what I talked about. And I did it several times. So you could transcribe all of it overlap it that way you have everything because every time you talk you do a talk you you know you come up with a different story you might have different ad libs you know so yeah that's definitely the way i did it but this book here was a definitely a journey for me and you know did you ever come into a situation or do you ever come into situations where you just don't feel as creative 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely true, but I kind of make peace with it. I know a lot of authors will kind of get frustrated. Oh, writer's block. Oh, I got to push through. To me, there's kind of like a time and a season, everything. I just this week am sending my latest book to the printer and uh, it's taken me three years to do this book. Most books I can pump out in you know a month or a few weeks or a few months. This one has taken me three years because I, I would go months without writing because I just wasn't feeling it. And I needed to wait until my head was in a good space. It's one of the reasons why I like working on multiple projects at once, because when I was taking time off from that book, I was working on a different one. I was finding flow you know, creativity and kind of a different uh, issue or topic. And so I kind of like juggling multiple projects at a time for that reason. Because it's not that I don't think people generally hit writer's block completely. They hit writer's block as it pertains to like that topic or that mm -hmm. project they're working on. So I like having a different project that you can jump to. Yeah. I mean, I have, uh, I'm, I'm in tech, so I have several tech companies and, uh, and I write and all that, but I'm speaking, I'm doing clubhouse rooms and all this, but sometimes I just feel like overall, I go through these stretches where I'm like, I just don't have much to talk about right now. You know, so then I what I do is I I gotta find a new environment. I gotta switch my environment up a little bit. I gotta go to fly to LA. I gotta fly to Miami. I gotta do something to get something break breaking loose. Do magic there. mushrooms. Yeah, no, nah, I don't oh, do no, that, no. but <laughs> not anymore. Maybe in college, but uh <laughs> but yeah, no. So so then the kids' books. Tell me about the the Tuttle twins. So the idea here is I'm running this think tank and I'm, you know, I've got kids and I'm like, oh, how do I talk to my kids about, you know, what dad does all day? So I went on Amazon and I'm like, books that talk about, you know, free markets or property rights or whatever. And there was nothing. So a buddy of mine had kids about the same age, a little older. And so we start talking about this and he's like, yeah, we should do something. And so we teamed up. He's the illustrator and we did a book and it's kind of a labor of love. Hey, throw it out there. But a lot of people start buying it. And to us, that was kind of a, a market validation that like there were other parents who wanted this too. There was no grand plan of like, you know, millions of books or now we've got like curriculum. We have a kids' cartoon series that has grown from this. Just this content empire is growing under our Tuttle Twins brand. And uh, but there was no vision for that at the time. We just did our first Tuttle Twins book and thought, like, that's what we'll do. But then people were like, Hey, when's your next book coming up? So uh, now, I mean, we're translated into like a dozen languages and, you know, we have our own podcast and a game and curriculum, the cartoon, like all kinds of stuff. And so we're just pumping out a ton of content because the problem is a lot of parents, especially with more entrepreneurial kind of capitalist type of individuals are very frustrated with the school system because they're pumping out these like victim oriented social justice warriors who you know, think that money is bad and work is bad. There's a whole movement now called anti-work. Like you can find this subreddit where everyone's like basically saying work is evil and they shouldn't oh have to work and gosh. bosses are are horrible and just in general. Like it so so that's what our school system and our society is creating. It totally is yeah. deterioration. So the question for parents is what do we do about it? And for a long time, parents were like, I don't know, right? We'll just suck it up and send our kids to school or try to homeschool or whatever. The Tuttle Twins books for these families is kind of a big crutch to say like, your kids may be hearing garbage on TikTok or from their teacher or whatever, but at home, make sure your kids are reading the Tuttle Twins because they're going to understand like what money is, what a business plan looks like, you know, why free markets are so important, what entrepreneurship is, how to actually learn, like all these kinds of ideas that are really going to create a well-rounded child. Now, how did you, how did you sell 4 million books though? I mean, I know, was it just caught viral or did you have a great marketing plan? No, we, uh, so to me, books are vehicles for marketing, not for revenue. Yeah. I think a lot of authors struggle because they write a book, they sell a few copies, and then it fades. 
They have no sustainable marketing plan. Whether they self-publish or go through a publisher, there's no real marketing budget. So what we do in the very kind of brief version is we did not list on Amazon. I think that's the death knell for authors. You think, oh, it's great. It's the world's marketplace. We get out there. But then they make you, you know, if you're selling them books directly, most people just do like create space and print directly. But let's say you're printing your own books and selling to Amazon. They're making you pay, uh, they're knocking off 55% of the retail price. Then you've got your cost of goods and all your other costs that go in it. And you've got no margin in there to play with. We said, no, we're not doing that. We're directing everyone to TuttleTwins.com. We're going to sell it at retail price. We're even going to upsell them on you know, the audiobook, a workbook, additional value that we can create so that if our cost of goods is a dollar or two for the book and we're maximizing our revenue to get, let's say, on average $15 a sale with all the upsells, now I've got a profit margin to reinvest into marketing. So we did that for several years. We're now on Amazon, but they are like 1% of our volume. We sell about 4,000 books a day. And so, uh, wow. but it's grown over the past eight years because it's like the snowball going down the hill. At first it was tiny and slow, but we reinvested all the money, all the money into marketing it. And I mean, this year we'll probably spend like 5 million in ads and it's not 5 wow. million coming from investors or anything no. else. It's just, that's the sales revenue reinvested back into marketing to grow the books even more. There's downstream opportunities that the books create with, you know, speaking engagements or, you know, clients or donors in our case, or all kinds of other things. That I think is the real purpose behind books is to just be a vehicle for those other opportunities. But for us, we chose to just reinvest all the revenue and, and build this massive marketing machine that fuels itself. Unbelievable. Love it. I love, I love the reinvest word. Reinvest. So many people have a business they don't reinvest in. You know, It's phenomenal. And that's how it snowballs, like you just said. So love what you're doing, dude. If there's anything, weighing, I, anything I can do to help you with everything that you're doing, uh, I look forward to building a relationship with you. I got some things I'm going to talk to you about offline anyway, because I, I, I'm a master connector. When I hear all these different things going on, I have this big network that, that can definitely help you. So, But where can people find you is the best way to find you. Yeah. TuttleTwins.com is where to find the books and where to find me. And uh, we're all over social media. If you like spicy memes, you'll want to make sure to follow us on Instagram. But uh, <laughs> where's uh, that? What's it? Dot, what, so what's it's all the... TuttleTwins. Yeah. It's a TuttleTwins all over social media or just TuttleTwins.com. All right. Cool. Connor Boyack in the house from TuttleTwins. He is the man. He's on a mission. Go check him out. And uh, thank you all for being here. We appreciate all of your listenership, viewership. If you're watching these, you can go to YouTube and subscribe and also subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a rating too and comment on these because we want your feedback. We want to continue to bring, bring you great guests just like Connor. And uh, for your kids, go get the Tuttle Twin books. Go check them out. And uh, thank you, Connor, for being here. And thank you to the rest of you. Until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikecrock.com, themikecrock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Mike C. Rock Scirocco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel book is available at my website, Mike crock.com forward slash book that's mike croc.com forward slash book go get yourself a copy thank you so much for your support and your listenership it means the world to me